Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, I'm back. I'm still at home in quarantine, but Kevin figured out how to get me recorded using Skype. We'll get a little update from Lori. And then Kevin has some fun food trends that he'll surprise me with to get my reactions. We have a great show. So stick around. Have you been to Pacific Counter? It is one of the newest fast casual concepts located on one of the fastest growing blocks in St. Pete, the 600 block of Central Avenue. They offer build your own bowls, burritos, or salads with a variety of the freshest bases, toppings, and sauces to satisfy anyone's craving and put you in charge. There are actually 6,432,189 combinations possible. Overwhelmed by build your own? I know that I sometimes am, Well, you can also choose from their counter creations menu already picked for you. The first couple of times we ate there, that's exactly what I did. Then I decided to get adventurous. For bases, they offer sushi rice, brown rice, noodles, or greens. Sushi rice seems to be the norm, but I'm not a big rice person, so I finally tried the noodles, and to say I fell in love is an understatement. They are actually sweet potato noodles, I found out later, and I have no idea how they make them seem like rice noodles. I added fresh tuna and salmon, my choice of toppings and a sauce, which I didn't even need because the bowl was so good without it. I told Kevin I could eat this every day and I would probably lose weight and love it at the same time. If you haven't checked out Pacific Counter, I would highly recommend it. They are open for lunch and dinner, have a variety of unique alcoholic and non-alcoholic drink options, and they have the beloved Dole Whip. Find your fresh at Pacific Counter. Pacific Counter is located at 660 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are open 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to midnight on Friday and Saturday. I'm so hungry right now, I'm getting takeout from Noble Crust. What? You've never been? No way. Check this out. They do both food from the South and Italian, and they do an amazing job at both. They have some of the best fried chicken, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. The fried green tomatoes are not like anyone else's. They call it the FGBLT, but I think they should call it the OMG because it has Tabasco honey pork belly and pimento cheese, and it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. Noble Crust also made six of St. Pete Foodie's best of list, best Italian, casual dining, best pizza, Bloody Marys, meatballs, and best salads. If Noble Crust is already one of your favorites, then I have good news. They're expanding their service hours, Starting on February 7th, they'll be open for lunch on Fridays, and they'll start opening on Mondays for dinner starting February 10th. 
As always, on Saturday and Sunday, there's an awesome brunch starting at 10.30, and the deviled eggs are one of my favorites. The St. Pete location is on 4th Street North and 83rd, and they also have locations in Carrollwood and Wesley Chapel. You can check hours and menus at noble-crust.com. Noble Crust is a must for your next lunch, brunch, or dinner. Pacific Counter and Noble Crust are both still open doing delivery and takeout. Our guest today is none other than my co-host, Lori Brown, via Skype. Hi. So what's been going on with you for the last few weeks, briefly? Oh, well, briefly. On um, St. Patrick's Day, I came down with a fever that for the first week ran pretty high. Um, my doctor and I both assumed that I may have contracted the dreaded coronavirus. I got, finally was able to get tested that Saturday, one of the drive-through test sites. Long story short, it took forever to get the test results back. I really wanted them to be positive, so that way I would be immune to this thing. They came back negative, which is quite frustrating, because most of the leading experts out there say about one out of every three tests are false negative. So my doctor is still assuming that I have it. We're still moving forward that way. Why else would you have a temperature for three weeks? I know, it makes no sense. I can't think. Nobody has any other explanation. Yes, and Kevin, Kevin wasn't here when I came down with the symptoms, so we just decided to stay apart because I didn't want him to end up with anything. Yeah, and the, the last two weeks, you know, I did best of compilations and talked about a few things, and Lori the whole time was just bugging me. She was dying to do a Skype interview because she really likes Skype so much. <laughs> oh my God. Trying to get that set up on my MacBook yesterday was ridiculous. Yeah, we had some technical difficulties yesterday. Uh, it took me a little bit to figure out how to get to get it to record off of Skype while also recording off the studio mic through the mixers. Got that figured out. And then we had uh, Lori to try to set up Skype on her computer. You don't want to know what everything was that happened and was said during that process. There were quite a few expletives. Yeah. And I was reluctant to it because I didn't want to have a lower quality sound, I guess, than the microphone, but I got over that. So here, here's my quick little update. Uh, I've been doing more takeout from different restaurants this past week, and a bunch are still open, including all of the restaurants you'll hear ads for on this episode are still doing takeout and delivery. I've gained seven pounds in the last three weeks. I watched a lot of movies and TV, and I now take a shower every other day, and I only shave on Saturdays. Wow, you're better than me. (laughs) And my beard and mustache is even more Grizzly Adams-like now. Can't wait to see it. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with some fun food trends. We'll be right back. Keep on moving. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. Engine, engine number nine. 
Engine number nine is doing takeout and delivery. The hours are 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily, and packaged beer and wine is also available until 9 p.m. We are back on the St. Petersburg Foodies podcast with me, Kevin Godby, and Lori Brown via Skype. Yes, we are back. (laughs) And you have an article that you just saw that uh, came out in the Tampa Bay Times. Yes, Helen Frone wrote an article this morning that I thought was quite interesting, talking about the takeout model and how it's working for some restaurants, but doesn't really apply or work well with other restaurants, depending on the type of food that they make and how it's served and such. The mill being one of them, she starts off with a quote, you know, from Ted Dorsey. Actually, he he tried the delivery thing, but I don't I don't think they tried it very long. I think they tried it for a day or two because they shut down pretty early, if I recall. Yeah, Jason told me that when things when all the sports things started getting canceled, they kind of got the idea that the races were going to be canceled before they actually were, and they started waving off the delivery trucks. Right, right. And told them not to not to even stop. Right. Right. So they basically just used what they had left on, for product. Right, right. And the other thing, too, is if you think about uh, Ted's Chef Ted's food, it really is not all that conducive to delivery as well. Fried chicken would, be, would work. Oh, well, yes, but... <laughs> oh, but yeah, just, I guess a lot of the other stuff doesn't really Fried work. chicken. Now I'm going to have to get Noble Crust. <laughs> <laughs> so were there some other specific restaurants mentioned that it works for or doesn't work for? Well, I mean, they were talking about how it it would work much better, of course, for like fast casual type of restaurants. Because as we know, Pacific Counter's done an incredible job of actually keeping all of their staff and uh, managing to sustain through this. They're the only restaurant I know of right now that's done that. Yeah, um, that's pretty amazing. I mean, there's other ones that we know that have been able to actually sustain a business where they have placed reorders for food supplies and they keep going for takeout, which are Noble Crust and uh, the Galley and Mary Margaret's, but not in retaining their whole staff. Right, correct. And Il Ritorno has done a fantastic job of this as well. They morphed very quickly into what they needed to. And I know they've done a lot of community work as well, getting food out to the St. Pete Free Clinics and, and uh, such to some of the um, first responders and nurses and doctors out there. Yeah, and also some some other restaurants, they operated for a few days and then they closed for a little bit and then they came back. It's like they had to regroup and figure out, okay, how do we do this? I know brick and mortar is one of those. Pinwalk and Ball is another one. And Sola. Sola, right, yep. They just came back uh, the other day. Right, they just came back the other day too. Pia's was mentioned um, in this article as well. And as you... If you recall, that she operated for about, I want to say, two weeks on a, a you know pickup delivery service, and she was handing out meals to the elderly uh, senior citizens, which I just thought that deserved a note because that was great. And did she mention Grazi in that article, or that, or they have just a totally whole separate article just for them? Grazi's not mentioned in the article, but we need to mention that. Yeah. Well, they had a whole article. They were on the TV news and whatnot, so... Chef Tony Mangifico, he's the chef and co-owner along with Dominic, they have been providing free meals to service industry workers who are out of a job just about every day. I think uh, they, he closes on Sunday, but the rest of the week, it's, I think they're now from 
12 to 2, something like that. Don't hold me to that. Check the Grazi Facebook page for the most up-to-date information. But he's, they've given out, I think, when it came out in the news last week, it was around 500 meals. They're probably almost double to that by the time you hear this. But they stayed closed to the public. I think he stayed open for the first week, then closed and just did the service industry, industry meals. But now they're doing both. So they're opening up from four to eight for takeout and delivery at Grazi also. Right. I'm trying to think of anybody else. I know Beer Boutique is doing just, they have a special every day. So just check our Facebook page and you can keep up to date on those kinds of things. But it's been amazing to watch them morph. Oh, also mentioned too, Il Retorno is now doing a lunch. Yeah, as- that's pretty cool. Yeah. Curbside, obviously, pickup. Yeah, last week I did some, I did Cafe Chibo for delivery. I did La Vie for pickup. I got enough La Vie stuff to last for two days. Right. Oh, yeah, Red Mesa Mercado, big breakfast burrito, enough to feed a small village in Mexico. That's how big those are. Oh, yeah, they are big. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about some uh, food trends. We'll be right back. I love soup, and I'm always in search of a great soup. Ramen is just so complex and delicious with layers of complex flavors in its broth. Booyah Ramen is one of my favorite places in downtown St. Pete, so much so that I recently included them on my top five Asian noodle soups list for their pork belly ramen. Now, Booyah's success is not just about the ramen. It's a hip, upbeat environment meant for unwinding and socializing with house-crafted cocktails, a large selection of Japanese whiskey, and izakaya, too. Those are small plates of different types of appetizers that are delicious, as well as the ramen. The ambiance of the place, along with the friendliness of the owners and staff, really adds to the character and charm of Buya. And to add to its coolness, the owners are actually opening up four more stores, one in Miami, and three in Berlin of all places. Yes, Berlin, Germany. How cool is that? Buya Ramen is located at 911 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete and is open seven days a week at 11 a.m. Do ya, Buya? Buya Ramen is still open for delivery and takeout. We are back! We are back! We are back on the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast and... We have some trends. Most of this is from the Wall Street Journal, but then I cross-referenced with some other stuff to fill in some more info. You know, something that's definitely gotten a boost boost from COVID-19 is food delivery, but food delivery was already on the rise prior. And this is actually, this article is from February 2nd, before COVID-19 was like a big crazy-ass thing in the U.S. like it is now. Latest front in food delivery, kitchens in empty malls. Oh, and then the subtitle is Delivery Wars Move to Neglected Retail Space as Competition Heats Up. Yes. So malls are dying and delivery is not profitable for full-blown restaurants. So this seems like a great solution. Developers say ghost kitchens can create new interest in retail and warehouse space vacated by merchants that have struggled to compete with e-commerce. Now, let's also discuss a ghost kitchen versus a virtual restaurant. We had a piece come out last week announcing Louis Italian Eatery, and that's by Louis Petrini, who is the uh, co-owner and managing partner of Nueva Cantina, a well-known Mexican restaurant. Right. And but Louis Italian Eatery lives inside of the kitchen of Nueva Cantina. Correct. But you can't go there. Well, you can't go anywhere any, right now. But restaurants, when it, when things were more normal and you could go eat at a restaurant, the case would be like you could go to Nueva Cantina and you can order the Nueva Cantina food 
and be served. But if you want to order Louis Italian Eatery, you do that on a delivery app. And it's for delivery only. I think from what I read that he was going to be offering that in the restaurant too, but I'm not positive about that. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, anyway, not if he's going to go with what the virtual restaurant definition is. And then a ghost kitchen is a place where there's no retail presence that's visible to the public. It's just like hidden away somewhere and it's strictly for delivery. So everybody knows Uber and everybody knows Uber Eats. But I don't know, I kind of follow a lot of what's going on in business in general out there. And the former CEO of Uber, Travis Kalanick, he was he was basically kicked out because he was just like thought everything was just a big party, mm-hmm. just spending a ton of money, smoke weed on the company jet, and just take it for parties and stuff like that. So he's no longer with Uber, but he has a new company called Cloud Kitchens, and Cloud Kitchens this is the delivery venture of former Uber Technology CEO Travis Kalanick, a two hundred and 30 square foot cloud kitchen site can be built in as little as two weeks at a cost of around $30,000. According to investor presentation, a traditional 3,500 square foot restaurant can cost $1 million to outfit. And then there's other ones in here that are doing the same thing. They're saying that's 60,000 to build them out. Right. Right. So it makes sense. And also, uh, I don't know if he's still doing it, but when we had uh, Eddie Allen from Central Meltdown, he told us he was doing empanadas and I forget what the other thing was. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I can't remember what the other thing was either. But yeah, he was doing two ghost kitchens inside of Central Mel, which is kind of wild, man, because it's not a big place. No, it's not. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be a ghost kitchen. That'd be a virtual kitchen. Right, exactly. That I said it wrong. Thank you for correcting me. You're welcome. So next up, I have something on olive oil. Right. But I think you have something on olive oil, too. Yes. Well, we first learned about olive oil Americans not really understanding that olive oil doesn't last forever in your cabinet. We, we learned this on salt, fat, acid, salt, heat. Salt, fat, acid, heat by Samin Nosrat, I think is how you would say her last name. Nosrat? Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's interesting because Kevin and I, that, I tell you what, that documentary and book certainly set us back view because we keep buying olive oil that's better than what you get anywhere else and soy sauce and all kinds of stuff. But it's definitely interesting that most of my life I'm sure I've been eating rancid olive oil. Shelf life is typically 12 to 14 months and any good olive oil will have an expiration of a production date on it. Right. Like if you go to Publix, because that's where I normally go, but look at the different olive oils on the shelf. Now I haven't done this. I haven't looked at everything because they do have some fancier stuff there, but most of the main national brands that people know and buy and use they do not have an expiration date like milk would, for example. Right. The better olive oils have an expiration date because guess what? Olive oil has an expiration date. It does. It goes rancid after a while. But most Americans don't know that and and are so used to, I think this was on Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, where they were saying that they've only had rancid olive oil, so they think that's how it's supposed to taste. Right. So then when they actually taste real olive oil, which should have a peppery flavor and actually cause you to kind of cough a little bit in your in your throat, you'll get a tickle. Yeah, it's that's peppery going down, yeah. Real good olive oil. That's the perfect olive oil. Rancid won't have that. So now here's something else on olive oil. The title of the article is Trade Tensions, Market Glut, Press Upon Olive Oil Prices. 
European Union has taken emergency action to boost olive oil prices after market slump angered farmers in southern Europe. So now shifting to the Smithsonian for a moment. Although people usually associate olive oil most closely with Italy, Spain is the world's largest producer of the stuff. In fact, chances are good that if you have tasted olive oil, you have tasted olive oil from Spain. And in the Wall Street Journal article, they say that 53% of the world's supply comes from Spain. Now, I have never bought anything except Italian extra virgin olive oil for home until you bought me that can from Greece of the real good stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say Greece. That does have an expiration date on it, except for that's what I thought. Because then I read further in the Smithsonian article, which says, Italy doesn't grow nearly enough olives to satisfy domestic demand, much less feed the international appetite for, quote, Italian olive oil, which probably has to do more with perception than its inherent superiority. So what Italy does, it imports oil from other countries, including Spain, processes and packages it, and re-exports it out with an imported from Italy mark. Those sneaky guys. This is, uh, I'm reading from the article now, this is the author. Sure enough, I went home and looked at my bottle of Filippo Berrio extra virgin olive oil in the cupboard. In the top left corner of the label, it said, import it from Italy. But on the back, it said, packed in Italy with select extra virgin olive oils from Italy, Spain, Greece, and Tunisia. So this article is from 2010. I just went and looked at my 2020 bottle of Filippo Berrio, and it still says that. Back to the Smithsonian. Until July 2009, the European Union didn't require olive oil labels to state the country of origin of the olives used in the product. If it was packaged in Italy, that was good enough. But now there's new rules intended to combat fraud. So there's new rules where they have to identify the origin, if it's a blend, and where the olives came from. Right. That's good. I'm about to open the Ligurian bottle. Yeah, I'm not, I'm still, I still have a little bit of the, the grease olive oil left before I open that one. So now, back to... Oh, here's a cool little thing that was in the Smithsonian article, too. In Spain, it has become fashionable in the last 20 years to eat toasted bread drizzled with olive oil for breakfast. Not a bad idea, with a good quality, flavorful oil, since it's considered a healthier fat than, say, butter or cream cheese. I do like my butter, though. I do like my butter, too. So now... Back to what the Wall Street Journal was talking about. It's kind of a good news, bad news situation. What's happening now is that modern production methods have increased the supply so much that olive oil prices are down 25% in Spain because they're having record harvests. Hmm, Right. In Italy, prices dropped 29%. So bad for oil producers, but good for the consumer, except, and I don't want to mention the person's name, but now we have 25% tariffs on olive oil from the EU in retaliation of subsidies to Airbus, which seems really irrelevant right now. Right. Because of every all the craziness going on right now, they recently suspended some tariffs, but olive oil is still on. That's it on olive oil for now. Next up is the new kale. What do you think is the new kale? Can you guess? I'm trying. I'm thinking. It, I'll give you a hint. It's, it's a vegetable and it's white. Oh, cauliflower. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. <laughs> cauliflower becomes a bestseller. Green cauliflower, rice cauliflower, every kind of cauliflower you can do. <laughs> you are up on this one. Once known for spoiling on grocery shelves, the vegetable is gaining fans as a starch substitute. Cauliflower used to sell so slowly it often spoiled on supermarket shelves. 
Now it's one of the fastest growing food products as consumers substitute the versatile vegetable for meat and carbohydrates. Rich in protein and fiber, but low in calories, cauliflower is benefiting from the rise of keto and paleo diets that advise people to avoid grains and seek, seek high fat foods. I don't think it's high fat though. You can sprinkle some or drizzle some olive oil on it. Yeah. Hey, that's a great idea. <laughs> Just try to make, make sure it's not rancid. Right. Yeah. One of the things that uh, Samin said to try to, I mean, I know what, it's, what it smells like. I don't know how to describe it. One thing she said is it smells like crayons. The rancid? Yeah. Rancid olive oil. I went back to that for a second. Yeah. So now, cauliflower's mild flavor and adaptability have encouraged food makers to substitute it for starches and dairy in gnocchi, pizza crust, hummus, and vegan Gruyere cheese. U.S. sales of raw cauliflower and foods containing the vegetable rose to 700 million last year, up nearly 40% from 2016. And it's so popular now. Check this out. Who, who would have ever thought this would happen? Some stores are taking away some traditional pizza in the frozen section to create more room for cauliflower crust pizza. It's crazy, man. Yeah. I'm not saying anything. Remember that one time we did that call a whole cauliflower thing? I did it in the oven. Yeah. That was good. That was pretty cool. I also we did we did some cauliflower cauliflower rice once or twice too. I like that actually. Yeah, it wasn't bad. So farmers now have expanded their cauliflower acreage to meet the fresh demand, said Kurt Epperson, who manages the produce and floral sections at public supermarkets. Cauliflower grows in 30 days, he said, compared to the 70 to 100 days that produce such as tomatoes and peppers need to reach maturity. And cauliflower, they note, like many vegetables produced in the U.S., is mostly grown in California. And yet, back to the cauliflower crust pizzas in some stores they account for one quarter of the total pizza sales and now here's something funny okay in this same article as they often do they'll have like little related articles so the related one to the side is titled the most delicious way to cook cauliflower this sounds really good too but it's funny at the end roast half of it for deep umami flavor and give the rest a quick simmer to keep it delightfully vital. The result is a satisfying vegetable ragu to serve over pasta. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that one's ironic, putting it on pasta. But here's another cool thing. I'm not going to give the whole recipe here, but one of the notes in there says, this recipe puts the water the pasta cooks in to smart use. Its starch helps bind the buttery ragu to the noodles. And who do we know that does that? Chef David Benstock, Bill Ritorno. Yep. We learned that trick from him. We did. And no, no, here's another one too. Chains are adding deep fried cauliflower to hot food bars. Oh, jeez. <laughs> kind of defeating the purpose on that one too. Yeah, Let's take something healthy and make it unhealthy. Right, exactly. Because that's for like the dumb people like, yeah, man, cauliflower is cool. Let's have it deep fried. I really, like I enjoy the cauliflower um, Vitek grease, the Ones that are all different colors. Oh, yeah. Those are those are awesome. Yeah. I'm older, so I'm more traditional, I guess. I like raw cauliflower in a salad. Or as a side, I like it steamed with butter or olive oil and some salt and pepper. Keep it simple. Yeah, me too. And the same. How, what, is that your favorite way to have it? Have it with melted cheese? Um, I don't do a lot of melted cheese on veggies. Yeah. That kind of defeats the purpose a little I've bit too, right? I've never been like that. I've never been a real sauce person, except for pasta. Okay. We are now moving on to Rich Sales Boost Coffee Creamers. Candy flavors and plant-based brands meet rising demand. 
I'm not a big fan of coffee creamers, but that's because probably of the the traditional ones. So liquid coffee creamer sales are up, but not the what I think are gross oil-based stuff like ne- Nestle's French puke vanilla. Mm-hmm. Right. Yuck. But food makers say they're finding fans among younger consumers reared on sweeter coffee drinks such as Star- Starbucks Frappuccinos. The younger generation uses creamer products a lot more than their parents did, said Danielle Young Jung, president of Nestle's beverage division. They don't like black coffee. They like coffee milkshakes. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's so Susie Perez, who works for a construction company near Orlando, Florida, said she recent, recently bought a creamer brand called Keto Super Creamer that contains no sugar but includes added protein and MCT oil, which is said to boost energy. Well, isn't that the point of coffee anyway? <laughs> yes. And check out these flavors in the International Delight brand. Uh, this is to appeal to younger customers that crave sweeter drinks. They now have flavors Hershey's, Peeps, and Reese's flavors. Jeez. Why not just eat the real thing? Yeah. So they're, another quote is that they're in it for the flavor, not necessarily the coffee. Interesting. So there's three kinds of creamers. There's milk-based, there's oil-based, and then there's the newer plant-based. Milk and oil-based sales are up about 8%. Plant-based are up 33%. Of course they are. Everybody wants plant-based everything these days. So I recently switched to soy milk late last year. Uh, That was for diet and other reasons, diet and cholesterol, weight and cholesterol. Uh, and I, I still buy whole milk only when I know I'm going to make grits. Right. Because a little side there, if you want awesome grits, first buy really good grits. Don't buy the crap in the grocery store. And then instead of the one cup of water, do a half a cup of milk and a half a cup of chicken stock. little aside trick on grits there. And I just want to, my last thing I want to say on coffee is I like coffee flavored coffee. Yeah. yeah, me too. What happened with coffee? Did I miss a f-ing meeting with the coffee? Huh? You can get every other flavor except coffee-flavored coffee. They got mochaccino, they got chocaccino, frappuccino, cappuccino, rappuccino, alpuccino. What the f***? We've been doing French press stuff. Yes, we have. From um, Batdorf and Bronson. Yes, the Dancing Goats. Dancing Goats. That's our recommendation. Get that one. So that's it for our food trends for today. We might have a couple more for next week. We'll see. We will be back next week. Yes. Stay stay safe. Stay well. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, me. And thanks to our sponsors. Noble Crest. Pacific Counter. Uya Ramen. And Engine Number 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. What's, what's this over here?
You never heard of grits? Sure, sure, I heard of grits. I just actually never seen a grit before. What is a grit anyways? It's made out of corn. Them hominy grits. Hominy? How do you cook it? Well, you simmer it in water for 15 or 20 minutes, put it on the plate and add butter. Huh. 